Isn't it time you lived life on your own terms? If not now, when? Visit abrilliantgamble.com for more information on Blair's new exciting online coaching program. Midlife doesn't have to be a crisis. It's a time to rethink who you are and what you really want from your work, your life, and yourself. Sacrificing your soul stops here. It's time to make some plans, make them happen, and live the life you deserve. With interviews, stories from her own adventures, and expert insights, here's your host, best-selling author, speaker, and coach, Blair Palmer. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of A Brilliant Gamble. I hope you are really well. I was not expecting when we took over this small holding quite the, the physical toll that this lifestyle would take on me. Um, for the last couple of weeks I've been unable to do really any heavy lifting. Um, I hurt my arm as I was moving about a ton and a half of manure from one part of the small holding to another to start our first no-dig vegetable bed, which is looking amazing. I'm very, very proud of it, but I really, really hurt my arm and uh, my left arm and all the way up my arm, particularly my elbow is very, very sore. So I've been self-medicating for a couple of weeks and hoping that it will go away, but it isn't. So we are off to the doctor this week and I'm going to have an actual medical professional have a look at it. Midlife is a feeling very real for me at the moment. My mum, actually when we we moved to a small holding when I was a child, I was about 11 years old and my mum must have been, I was working this out, she must have been in her early 40s at that point but I'm in my late 40s and I think that the difference those few years make is really significant. Also, she had my dad to do some of the heavy lifting and I'm doing it all myself. So um, that's how I am at the moment. I am also pushing up the priority list. If anyone wants to buy me a gift, um, I'm talking to family members, blood relatives who are listening. A powered wheelbarrow or flatbed trolley would be just the ticket, please. How glam is this country life that I'm living? I was hoping that um, this lifestyle would make me fitter and I'm sure it will in the end, but short term I'm feeling very incapable. So I hope none of you are suffering from anything like that at the moment. I know that sore bones and sore joints is a very real midlife health issue, but um, yeah, I I feel for you and uh, I feel your pain, your very real pain. Anyway, let's get to today's show, which does not involve any heavy lifting. In fact, The bots are going to be doing all the heavy lifting in future. Most of us are old enough to remember typewriters in the office. Duplicate paper. The guy who brought the internal mail around on a trolley. And it wasn't that long ago. Within 20 years of getting dial-up internet, the way that we use technology to do our work, as well as everything else in life, has changed so much. It's hard to recall a time when it was different. How many of the skills that seemed so important to you 20 years ago on the job market don't have value today? I mean, the first one that pops into my mind is shorthand. Absolutely critical when I was training to be a journalist to have a really good shorthand speed. I don't even know if they teach it anymore. I'd be really interested to know if they do. Most of us will still be working in the next 10 to 20 years too. 
So we've written out this storm of the last 20 years, but we want to make sure we can write out the next storm as well. And that means that companies and other organisations have got to change, and so do we, but in what ways? Well, that's today's show. Today's show is an interview with Mark Williams. He's the CMO at People First, an HR consultancy with a special interest in the future of work. And as you and I stand on the crossroads of our lives thinking what's next, it's, it's worth thinking about what the business world is actually going to look like during the next one to two decades, maybe the final one to two decades of our working lives. Yes, you want to do a job you love, but presumably you also want to do a job that actually exists. In this interview, we talk about the tech and other trends affecting the workplace, the way business will need to respond if it wants to continue to exist, and the change individuals, that's you and I, will need to make to be relevant and employable in the future. Let's go over to the interview. Mark, how are you? Good to see you. And you. I'm well, thank you. Yeah, good. I've been looking forward to this because this is kind of where two worlds collide for me. There's my sort of corporate business where I speak about the future of work and the future of leadership. And then there's um, Brilliant Gamble, which is more about personal change. And I've been really looking forward to this conversation as a way to bring those two things together. Good. So thank you so much. <laughs> no pressure. Well, let, let's, start, <laughs> let's start with um, you and, and your expertise because this whole future of work thing is on a lot of people's minds at the moment. Yeah. Okay, uh, so expertise is a strong word, isn't it? Um, we, I guess we could say we've been working in this space um, for the last three or four years. Um, so we've always been related to the subjects, that, but, but I think when we, when we started a new product, we were thinking, okay, what what, what is really different? What can we? What are the real problems with work? What can we really dig into? Um, and there's a lot of them, you know. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a very rich kind of problem space. That doesn't sound West Coasty. Um, into to delve into, um, and so we've uh, me personally and the and the team here have had the luxury of really kind of getting to grips with all those future problems and then how we solve them that is relevant to a market today. And what are they? I mean, what is some of the stuff that is happening now or that's around the corner that's going to change the face of work? Well, the major problem is that people, you know, work is so important to us in terms of psychologically, a lot of our um, things that we, we, we think important in our own identity. Uh, happen at work but we don't recognize that and somehow in society we don't you know everybody likes to moan about work and it's almost um, socially difficult it's socially unacceptable to say actually yeah work is great and uh, and I'm really enjoying it it means a lot to me um, on a broader you know broader things you've got automation um, which will come into play a bit more. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily relevant right now. So, so you've got whole engagement. Most people don't enjoy work. I think it's something like eight out of ten people don't don't um, don't enjoy work. 
and it, that's globally and that's a massive waste not just a waste of productivity in a kind of economic sense but it's a waste for the people who are in it so i think we're having a, and also you've got a generational change where younger people are actually wanting more out of work than their mothers and fathers did and that creates an interesting dynamic but then kind of looking more to the future yes the, the, the whole kicking in of uh, what computers can do that humans can't and the shift in changing skills at the moment we've got we're in a place where if you're competent organized you know that you can do a spreadsheet um, you can run a project that's that's important and kind of a staple of what we would call work now um, well, that's good that's going to go to a certain extent because all of those things are relatively easily automated and so it's going to be more uh, the things that robots can't do well so it's more face-to-face um, -face, uh, persuasion skills you know the more human stuff um, creativity and I don't mean creativity in a kind of drawing and painting way but creative thinking and critical analysis and it kind of shifts the persona for what people will be looking at I, I, sometimes I talk about it like cars so cars in the 70s were you know you could buy an unreliable car um, and uh, and so just you, you could have you could make a success in the car market just by making a reliable car um, but now you can't do that. All cars are reliable, and so the, the, there's an extra. So, so it, it's a, it's the creativity behind how you market it, what stuff you put in it, that actually make you have a successful car. And it will same similar things with businesses in the future. There will be a baseline of efficiency, which you'll just get from automation, and then so the skills that people will be looking for are more creative skills, more critical thinking. And the types of environment and the working flexibility for those kind of people will be different to the way that we look at work now. Um, now, there's an issue with that there will be less jobs for, you know, so less jobs overall. And what do you do with the uh, kind of um, the displaced humanity? Um, but, but again, that's got a, both a utopian and, a, you know, it's got good things and bad things associated to it, depending on how it plays out economically. So, so let's pick up on some of that, um, because it's quite a lot. And I, think hear, <laughs> yeah. and I think when people hear this, one of the things that I've certainly noticed with audiences that I've spoken to about this is that some of them just don't believe it. You know, that particularly when it comes to the technology and you talk about automation, I mean, automation you know, has been around for 250, 300 years. And there, there are still jobs. And in fact, we're busier than ever, which, you know, maybe links in with your engagement bit that actually, um, for all the technology, you know, we're still, we're working harder than ever. There's more to do. There seem to be less people to do it. We're never able to switch off. So the, the technology hasn't provided us with more leisure time or even in a sense, more unemployment. Um, it's just that, you know, it's actually created, seems to have created a lot more work. Um, so some people will switch off and say, that's no different to anything that has happened in our industry for the last, you know, 100 years. Um, and some people will say, well, it, 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 maybe it's going to happen, but it probably won't affect me. 
So it's not going to affect the sort of job I do because I could never be replaced by a machine. Yeah. Let's, what's, I mean, I I was going to say, what's the truth? Of course, we don't know, right? Because it's, it's coming. It's not here yet. But what, what's your gut feel? Is this something that we, that we can ignore? And is it just the same thing that's been happening since, since the dawn of the industrial age? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's a repeat of, of the industrial revolution. Um, so the the, uh, the kind of overarching economic argument is that um, yes, the, the the jobs will be replaced, but then they're kind of subsequent um, secondary jobs that then cover, you know to kind of fix the robots and and then people will be able to do that, and that's how it kind of plays out. Um, the, the people who work in the field of artificial intelligence are very matter of fact about you know that those both those secondary jobs will also get affected by by automation um and so it's the speed of it's the speed of that wave so the technology speed is going to be faster and and i and i understand the skepticism because i think if you're not in the field you don't really get how quickly it's moving um, and how much stuff can be uh, not how much stuff that could be automated but also the appetite for efficiency that is out there in the in the commercial world anyway um, and it will t- you know it's, it's only going to take a few years before everybody is familiar with a conversation that is now okay how, how if we brought this automation bit in what could we save in headcount? You know, and, and that will be a much more familiar um, uh, conversation without any particular secondary jobs to do that, or one or two secondary jobs. And I think that's the, the key thing is there will be secondary jobs, but there's a whole swathe of things. So take transport, for instance, which is kind of one of the main ones that would get affected if we get when and if we get self-driving trucks because you know they're already uh, starting those that's a big one where yes you would get secondary jobs you know they're definitely definitely uh, the chance that you'd have secondary jobs um but the scale of the people who are currently in that industry against those secondary jobs is a massive slash and, and we're going to be seeing that kind of across the board i think so you're going to get a polarization of jobs where there will be a um, almost like a sports team type mentality for those at the top and then a much which will be a very few amount of jobs and then a huge swathe of manual is not the right word but the but the more more mainstream um lower paid work so most of the people that um that i think are listening to this show and that, that i work with at a brilliant gamble they're looking for work that that really blends with their life. You know, their, their, their obsession is, how can I have a job that I really love um, and, and, and stay ambitious, you know, become successful at that, but also find a way to blend that with the other things that are important in my life. Yeah. Um, my family, my, you know, my health, whatever it might be. Um, I think very few people are thinking, oh yeah, and... Not just that, but also, <laughs> how do I prepare myself for a, a completely different job market? Maybe in the next five years, where the work that I do today 
which I'd like to do less of, or I'd like to do more of it from home or whatever, that, that, that those concerns pale into the background compared with, will that job even exist? You know, will, will I even be able to do it? Is, is, are we focusing as employees and as workers on kind of on the wrong things? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, so again, there's there's kind of two parts to this. One is um, financially what you have to do, um, and, and we all know that you know those those best lives that we imagine for ourselves kind of can go out the window when I, we just need to go and earn the money that we need to live. But in choosing, reflecting what you want out of life. And that kind of smorgasbord of, uh, I'd actually like a bit of this, I'd like a bit of that. That is um, absolutely key to future work, automated or not. Uh, I mean, even post-automation, people are going to be still going to be wanting to do stuff. They're still going to be having, you know, projects. We've got, we're not going to have kind of endless swathes of people just sitting at home doing nothing. So people are always going to want to do. And, you know, it just means that money isn't part of that contract. You know, that, 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 that there's still, I firmly believe, that there'll be still projects of social value that we'll all contribute to. And that, and, and that could be really, really, really positive so that the robots do all the crappy jobs and we actually get to just have that life. Um, and part of that would be money would be involved and part of that wouldn't. And so, you know, we think, we think um, so every now and then we do a kind of little thought experiment as to, okay, well, if some of my work is, it's not particularly far-fetched, some of my work is, uh, is paid, some of my work isn't paid, but if there was a kind of portal where I could see, for instance, the park's fences need painting, and I'm, you know, and that just turns my head off and I enjoy doing that, or I get access to who needs what in the local community, um, intertwined with, yes, and this, this kind of European project needs this work, so you can go from kind of local to big thinking, back to something that actually has real social value in one place uh, and you know that's the kind of in terms of how we think about the product we work on that's the kind of thing that, 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 that we go with so so I think it's really important to to try and get that balance I think some of it, it, it sometimes it can feel like a luxury because obviously if you need to work three jobs um, there's less of a choice as to how you do it but finding out everybody finding out how best they work what you know what they're what they're good at what they're not good at you know their own kind of bi almost biorhythms as to how how it works for them um and it's great for kids you know the the the, the focus on i think we underestimate maternity paternity working from home you know more flexibility in the hours and what difference that's made to moms and dads and their relationship with their children. So what you're describing, and um, I mean, we, we can talk about people who even now working, as you say, three jobs are struggling to make ends meet. And I mean, yeah. even, you know, e even people in quite professional jobs um, yeah. 
struggling sometimes just the cost of living being so so um so great at the moment um but let's just ignore that for a bit and let's talk about it from a kind of optimistic um Okay. We'll, we'll come back to the realities. <laughs> but what you're describing is a, is a world where um, paid work and unpaid work, uh, different ways of whether you're paid or not, become maybe equally valued, equally valued by society and equally valued by the individual doing them. So it's not as though I would um, always prioritize the paid employment, the paid contract, let's say, over some other way that I contribute to society that is unpaid. And of course, right now, a lot of people, most people are doing unpaid contribution, even if it's just raising their children and you yeah. know, feeding them and stuff like that, um, driving their parents to doctor's appointments and stuff. So th there's, there's plenty of unpaid contribution, but you're describing a world where because work, paid work takes less of a proportion because there's less of it to do, we have more time and more, um, more opportunity to do to do the other side is that is that is that what you're is that kind of the picture that that you're presenting from that optimistic perspective yes um i think there's a lot that we do in business today that is uh, ultimately not particularly human it's, it's kind of businessy and we get paid for it um but it's easily automated uh, and and I think the social value of what we do as humans has an opportunity to, again, with the, you know, once everybody's got a baseline of, of kind of all this efficiency stuff can, you know, gets done. It's the extra bits that give us as individuals and the kind of corporate um, organizations that we'd work in that extra edge, that extra value. And you're already seeing that with the kind of, with companies doing offering 10% time to do charity work and um, yeah so the growth in that is an important part of uh, what, where people go to look for for jobs um, is a sign I mean some it can be a bit wishy-washy um, or mostly marketing rather than you know so it can get spun um, but I think in terms again like a the trend towards it shows a wider kind of feeling I think uh, th now there's all sorts of economic reasons why uh, the things that give social value don't give uh, um, monetary value and I think we're a good you know we're a good long way of, uh, around sorting that you know just because face-to-face um, -face care and uh, is not easily automated does not mean then that nurses are suddenly going to be earning what a, a lot more and, and really what they deserve um, but that's more to do with the overall kind of um, how the markets work um, there's a great book called bullshit jobs by by now but um, but it, that really kind of digs into you know uh, the um, why and how the monetary value you're given to a job is almost um, uh, the opposite of how much personal value you get out of it. Um, and, you know, the CEOs who earn a lot are giving their kind of pound of flesh and lose their life because they're kind of always working. 
uh, and those who who actually get uh, social value and a feeling of, of, of um, that they're doing a good thing in their job tend to get paid less and uh, you, know, you know there's market forces at play there and it really helps to expand that out so um, uh, I don't, I'm not sure whether that answers your well, question. Let's, let's <laughs> I mean, there is something I definitely want to come back to but I think you've raised a really important point there which is people often make the connection between their salary and the amount of um, sacrifice that they have to make yeah. personally, morally, um, ethically, <laughs> lifestyle wise in order to, to do the job. And yeah. so it's not, it's, it, it's, it just popped into my mind that in some organizations, people's salary is called their compensation. It's the way that they're, we make it up to you, the, the ways that we're killing you by paying you more and more money. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. And of course, it makes it difficult for someone like me and people who run their own businesses who love what they do. We often undervalue it in the market because yeah. we say, well, I can't charge that much for it because I really enjoyed it. Um, that's not the point. The point is how much value did you add yeah. and um, charge for the value, whether you, whether you enjoyed it or not. Uh, so that, that's one of the things that was popping into my head. But the other thing that was popping into my head is, yeah, all very well. And I said, let's set the money aside. But I mean, what about the money? <laughs> at, at, at the moment, at the moment, people have to work very, very hard and long hours and sometimes more than one job. And certainly uh, most families need both parents working if there are both parents um, to, to make ends meet. Um, it sounds lovely to spend some of your time doing paid employment, some of your time painting faces for, fences for your community. How are you going to live? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it, it's the biggest problem that we've got to face, I think. Um, that's the big question. And I think the, the we're with over, uh, over the next decade or so, um, that th there are things like universal basic income, which is almost a kind of baseline benefit, benefits the wrong word, for everybody, um, that then allows us to join in with the capital capitalist system, um, but makes the kind of makes the money go round, as it were, um, and also doesn't stop us, doesn't preclude us from uh, working, but also gives us enough to live on and uh, and contribute to the kind of overall economy. Yeah. So, so that I mean, that's one way of dealing with it. I think you, you can look at the movement. So, uh, movements towards stakeholder capitalism, where um, where uh, business owners go back to a much more um, cooperative uh, and shared output. Um, that's also a sustainable model. I mean, it's a, so, the, I guess not only the problem of automation, but also the problem that. Uh, all the profits are, are being sucked out of local economies into into the uh, up and into gaffer as they call it, or the the kind of big tech industries, or and the big tech industries. Then you, you look at Amazon. Or Amazon started as one thing, but now it's going to kind of because it's got all the data that it needs and all the tech prowess that it needs, then it will just kind of go through market by market. So now it's into food shops, then it'll be into, you know, whatever it is next, and it'll just kind of smash through those. And, we sit, and all those profits don't stay on the ground. They kind of get sucked up into, into the profits in the top there. Problem with that then is nobody's actually got any money to spend eventually 
on the ground and it's how you solve that bit and last week i was last week i was in barcelona and, and there was a kind of european think tank thing about quite how we deal with that and yes some of it is kind of tax and regulation but also some of it is you know thinking hard about how do you how do we keep how do we innovate and keep money on the ground and ubi would do that uh, because it's part of kind of sovereignty um but it's not going to be easy to do that because uh, there is a perception and i think in an older generation there's a perception that people will just take the money and do nothing you know they'll just play on their playstation all day um yeah and i think um that that's that's where i want to go really with this conversation because i think that there is a need based on what you're saying and what i'm really convinced is is happening for some massive shifts in in mindset and perspective you know so you're describing business leaders big business leaders deciding to change their business model so that basically the people at the top don't keep all the money <laughs> and it flows through the system more you're talking about people starting or, or, or reinventing businesses that already exist that have this kind of social responsibility right at their heart and feel that, you know, I mean, one of the things that I've talked about in the past is, um, you know, if, if businesses are going to um, cut their workforce or change their model to such an extent that they don't need people um, or don't need so many people, they, they have a responsibility for the fallout of that in their community Agreed. currently they they don't they you know they they make redundancies they they pay people out and then they walk away and they don't they don't then reinvest in the community that is devastated by the fact that you know half the jobs are gone they don't feel the need to so you're talking about a, a world in, in where big business well, not necessarily big business, but, any, but where businesses feel that they do have this responsibility built in to, to clean up after themselves in the, in the community. Yeah, and I don't, <laughs> interestingly, I don't think they'll do it selflessly. I think they'll do it because market forces will, you know, that's how they can compete with Amazon. And, you know, so once the big tech are sucking everything out, Ultimately, the, the the kind of medium-sized companies will die, uh, and these are not small companies because uh, so they're going to have to think differently. And part of that, so what I'm hoping for, <laughs> is that these two bits come together. So you've got some market forces where they're thinking, right, well, we can't compete, we can't compete on efficiency because you know we we, we just haven't got the resources that are available to us. So how can we compete? Well, we will compete by being state, by engaging wider with stakeholders. Um, and that is how we can then almost regain the, the, the appetite of the market. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it sounds like, I mean, this, one of the things I'm very curious about at the moment is why people change, what it is that actually triggers them to change, because you know, we all find we all find certain changes really easy um, and then we'll find something else in our lives really difficult to change for whatever reason and I'm very curious about what that reason is and what you're describing is um, sort of businesses basically with their backs against the wall um, it's it's radically change or die 
And for them to get to that point, there's going to be a fair amount of pain first there. Yeah, well, I don't think that they'll believe that they're, that they're in that much trouble to begin with. Um, and and you know, we, we see that kind of geopolitically as well. The, the EU are so far behind China and America in terms of technically what they're able to do. And they're a bit hamstrung at the moment by not actually knowing how, how much trouble they're in. And, and, but, they're, but it is causing them to think a little bit differently about how they, how they need to react to, to the tech giants and to uh, the Chinese giants uh, and how they affect uh, everything going forward, pretty much. They'll come around to it, and obviously those who pick it up earlier will uh, have a stronger place in the market. But yes, they, they, it's not, as I say, it's not entirely selfless. Uh, no, no I, I can't imagine that it would be, although there are, there are companies, um, I work with some of them, that are so focused on purpose, that, and that purpose being their, their community or um, yeah. their customers, um, that actually they will prioritize that over the, over, you know, the, the profits. Give, yeah. give a choice, they will do that. And if that means, of course, in order to serve their customer or their community, they want to continue to exist. But they are also aware that there could, there could come a point where they don't continue to exist because they're not really offering a service and then they'll shut down and then they'll come up with another idea and do that instead. Yeah. So, this model that we must always be growing and that we um, we grow by buying other companies and you know that, that, that's how we do it and we shave off these little bits of profits um, and we serving our shareholders is our number one priority there are companies that are thinking differently about that but they tend to be smaller they tend to be quite startup yeah yeah and, I, and more power to them I, I think it's a kind of zero-sum game to the endless growth can only end one way meme um, and yeah and constantly buying up so anybody who shows any promise constantly being bought up by ultimately by again the the, the people who've got the equity to throw around which will be the larger you know, the, the larger companies yeah. ends up with a few kind of huge monoliths and then we get into regulation. We get into very dull economic stuff. We get into yeah, regulation. Let's not. Let's, not. <laughs> let's, let's, let's bring it back to the, to the human. And to the, so, you know, businesses, that's what businesses need to do. Um, some of them will do it um, before it's too late and others will, um, will die because they ignored, they ignored it. And by the time they realized uh, what they needed to do, it was too late. Um, so that's, that's, that's for them. What about for us as individuals? So, you know, I want to make sure that I can continue to add value and earn a living um, until I'm no longer need to do it. <laughs> so until I have some sort of pension or, you know, until I'm very, very rich. Um, so, so, and each of us is kind of in that situation where we want to continue to earn a living. How, how do we as individuals, what do we need to let go of in terms of our beliefs about our value or our beliefs about work in order to adapt to this massively changing requirement out there in the market? Sometimes we see ourselves as a job title rather than here's my set of skills. Uh, and I think that that bit is key. But the 
flexibility to jump quite radically from one area to another, to one kind of set of markets or, or business area to another is going to be really important. Um, and so it's a knowledge of those individual bits of your value, uh, which, which kind of comes back to a, to a reflection, some kind of reflection as to what's doing and then breaking that down into actually, rather than a C, I mean, CVs are horrible. Um, so, you know, there's no worse reflection as what this human being is than some kind of thing that I could have made up anyway. Um, down to uh, those individual areas of value and then what's transferable about those particular areas. And that can only come from, we do, we do a thing in the product which is almost like a Fitbit for work. So it, 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 the, the kind of scientific bit is a daily reconstruction method. So at the, kind of at the end yeah. of the day, you get kind of prompted for a quick prompted for has got kind of grid of 12 things and you say yeah it's been this kind of day and then put a sentence in about what day it is and then obviously then you because we tend to either get home and even if it's been a good day say yeah work was rubbish or the opposite <laughs> but so it, it we need something to kind of have a reflection true reflection as to how you're feeling in the moment on that day and then pull that kind of try and strip that out into what these core value transferable values are um, so i think flexibility is going to be going to be a big a big uh, uh, way that to to guard against the movements in the market yeah and i wonder also you said this right at the beginning much more of an appreciation of the human qualities that you bring as opposed to the hard skills, because you know that ability to—I mean, as you, you mentioned Excel, but that you know, there's a million things that people do every day that they think is how they add value, yeah. but probably don't add that much value on the one, in one way. But also, they just won't need to do it because a bot will be doing it. Yeah, uh, understanding uh, the rest of it. Yeah, but you know, so basic. You know, people who glue an office together by being funny or arranging nights out or, you know, d d those are the bits that are very hard to quantify. You know, you're not going <laughs> to, the things that you wouldn't put on a CV, but actually in work life make a massive difference as to how people kind of uh, glue together. Yeah. And does that mean we have to... I mean, it sounds like it comes down to really thinking about your value, really thinking about what is it, what am I actually paid for, um, really? What's the value that I'm actually adding as opposed to I got a lot done um, and I stayed very late? Uh, yeah, I think it's, so I think you need some peer, uh, review and also the people who you work for need to get involved in that because it's very easy as a person if i'm a pessimistic person i will dial myself down on almost all my values and, and equally equally kind of um, uh, unhelpful is if i'm delusional about what i'm good at what i'm not good at you know uh, that, that doesn't help me either so it can't be just uh, 
me reflecting on me because that that can bring in all sorts of bias my own personal bias about how great i am uh, or how rubbish i am it, you know that that come from and obviously then if i likely to have if i come from a more disadvantaged background i'm likely to then bring that forward into uh, my career which then it might might or might not be true but equally if i'm kind of confident and i've and i've had a, a very privileged upbringing and i'm likely to bring that in irrelevant as to whether my skills actually uh, actually show that or not so there's got to be some kind of peer and uh, and employer or organization leader view on what you think about yourself so you said something earlier on about an old-fashioned view that you know if people didn't have to work if they had you know this universal minimum wage or living wage yeah. um, they would sit around playing computer games all the time um you know, most of us work for more than the money we, we we like what we do we don't want to sit around being bored all the time um do you think but but do you think that we that something needs to change also in the education system so that we recognize or that the education system recognizes that actually the working world is going to be different we're going to be relying on people to um to work not because they have to but because they want to um and and have more of a community sense and that they're going to need completely different kinds of skills the, all the, the human skills that you're talking about, which at school are almost, almost discouraged. You know, sit quietly, don't talk to each other, do what the teacher says. Um, this is the right answer. This is the wrong answer. Thanks for submitting your story, but here's all the spelling mistakes. You know, the, 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 do you think that we need to go back as far as that in order to create the workforce that we're going to need in the future and change our attitudes about work? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much a given at this stage. Is that yeah, we we we're, we're raising our kids for a for a, a, a job landscape of the nineteen forties and fifties. You know, it, it, it's not you know almost everything. No critical thinking skills. No. Yeah, we, we need to sort that out. I just want to come back to the, the com, uh, playing computer games. But the irony of that is that actually playing computer games is likely to be giving the economy what it needs. You know, it could be one of the most, you know, um, uh, profitable things for the digital economy at that stage. So it may be that that's exactly what the economy needs. And, uh, and more than that, we could be, you know, games are problem solving and all those other things we could be wrapping up difficult problems in a pokemon go or something and we'll be solving on mass quite complex issues or um, problems that may lead us to medical kind of breakthroughs or whatever so you know uh, yeah even that kind of oh yeah the computer games thing it, it, you turn you turn the prism of how it might actually be on its head and it, yeah that, that would on, the, on that would bring value by itself and i think that's what you know so that's why the education system as we know it that, that kind of um critical thinking and and how, how can we frame this in a different way that kids don't get in school it is going to be inc incredibly important uh, 
and uh, and again the market you know so so we know that that there's a skill shortage in a lot of areas that are, isn't being met but this will be the mother of all skill shortages effectively um, and uh, I mean, the, just the answer yes was enough, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I think people are um, voting with their feet in a way. Uh, we as listeners will know that I home educate uh, my daughter, um, and there are lots of reasons to home educate, but one of them is to step outside of this this education system, um, and. Um, whilst a lot of home educating parents aren't doing it for those reasons, they wish they could send their kids to school. Um, a lot of them are doing it because they, because of what we've been talking about in this conversation. And that is the home education is growing massively. So, um, and people are starting to get worried about it, which is why government is trying to crack down on it and make it more and more difficult to do and get kids back into school. But actually, if, as you said, if you turn things around and look at it differently, differently, you could say, what are these home educating families trying to tell us about the kind of education that they want and need for their kids? Absolutely. Um, the yeah, so, you know, trying to squash it isn't going to work because parents, just to protect their children, they, our gut feeling is that we're not get, they're not getting what they need. And so ultimately, it will, it will force their hand. It has to. And, and these movements, you know, uh, will work because... You know when the when the uh, when the money that the you know the money that should be going to the schools isn't going to the schools because there's a whole kind of way to do and it's not just education you know we're seeing this in other areas um, and ultimately they'll have to listen yeah. for their own benefit not for ours because you know uh, the, the the kids I, I I think that infrastructure that local infrastructure for with with parents realizing that the kids just aren't um, being set up for the future will only get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Well, look, Mark, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Um, some of these ideas are not new to me because obviously this is this is one of the areas I'm fascinated by. But even even though they're not new to me, they still make me uncomfortable uh, because I know that I can be a little complacent and I can think, well, we're always going to need keynote speakers you know we're always going to need coaches now a machine can't do what I do but of course you know everyone thinks that don't they so um we're, we're all in the same situation of thinking of having to think differently about what's our value what what how do we want to contribute to the world does all of that have to be paid for and if it's not going to be paid how are we going to how are we going to live and I think these are questions that we would all do well to ask ourselves so thank you very, very much. It's been great. You're welcome. Thanks, Blair. I hope you enjoyed that. It is kind of scary uh, listening to someone describe what the workplace of the future is going to look like and what some of the skills are going to be that people like us are going to need to, to really master. But it also, forewarned is forearmed. So uh, better to know now than in 10 years' time when they're laying off people that do exactly the job that you do. You can find out more about Mark and People First. You can follow them on social media at Futurelix, that's F-U-T-U-R-L-I-X, and at their website, people-first.com. 
And of course, you can stay in touch with us. This is a topic I'm always interested to talk to anyone about. So if you're interested in the future of work or how you can prepare yourself to be really important, valuable, have a job, a job you love in future, then please get in touch on social media or direct via our website. And with information about how to do that, here is the lovely Ivy Palmer. people find us and take a brilliant gamble of